The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jang by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jang. Oh my God! You saved the airplane, Spawn and Scott! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that makes our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy Gavin Russell. Okay, we're here. We're finally here. My favorite part, the reason that I asked you to do this podcast in the first place, we are to the final stretch of Apollyon, The Destroyer is Unleashed, book five. We're going to close this one out today. How'd you feel about it, buddy? I regret saying that this book was overrated. (laughs) We finally got to the part that we've all been waiting for. The abyss has opened up and I am so excited to get into that. Like the judgment that changes everything. We have gotten to probably the most satisfying one yet. By far. And so we have a lot of ground to cover in this episode. We're starting at chapter 14, and we're going to move along very quickly through events, just like the book does, because something that you and I have complained about a lot, especially toward the third act of these books, we get a lot of, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it happens again here, but I'm going to honestly say, didn't mind it. Yeah. I thought that the events that happened in this portion of the book, as much as there were lapses of time and moments where it skipped, it worked for me. Just this particular sequence of events is so weird in a good way that it kept me engaged all the way through. And I have some thoughts on the ending. They are positive ones, and we'll get to that once we get to the end here, and then probably more in the off the record. We got a lot to get into, so let's go ahead and get started. We ended with Eli and Moisha withstanding uh, an attempt on their life via of just a bunch of bombs and uh, mortars, if yeah, I recall correctly. That is correct. We're back at Hyams, because Buck has to kind of limp his way back to Hyams without being noticed. Runs into Jonas, the gate man, who does not really speak English. Mm -hmm. And they have kind of this back and forth. And it's surprising. I think I said this last episode that Buck doesn't know any Hebrew. Yeah. Considering the amount of time that he has spent in Israel. I thought that was an odd choice. Jonas lets him in and he basically leaves a note on Hyam's door saying, hey, I'm crashing here. Sorry. Fell off a plane. It pretty much just passes out, uh, tells Jonas to like, hey, don't let him know. uh, I'm here until the morning. He'll he'll be a okay about that. Uh, and Buck looks at himself in the mirror and kind of just scanning down the work that he's had to get done with his face. 
it, it looks professional enough, but he's still looking like pretty rough. Yeah, he's more beaten up than I think we've ever seen him. Yeah. Buck is in a real low place right now. We've reestablished that he is being accused of murder mm-hmm. for the murder of that guard who was also a believer, definitely killed by his own guys. And we find out that Hyam is clean. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be keeping the tribulation force on house arrest as the official GC story. And uh, also that Buck is apparently an accomplished jet pilot, according to the GC official line. Huh. Interesting. We're getting more and more of the propaganda and the lies. In case you thought that was going to slow down, it's not. No, I I didn't figure. They make a plan that Buck can't stay at Hyams. It's too high profile. He's going to move in with Stefan for the time being, just to be safe. We have a little moment with Chloe and Rayford. And now she's entered the ring like, oh, man, I want to be able to the one that kills Carpathia. Yeah. And then Rayford gets on to her. But then he's just like, how can I let her know that, like, I also have ideation about killing Carpathia? And like, what wh- what's happening to us? What are we becoming? And I wrote, yes, what indeed are you becoming? Because we talked about this over and over this desire for violence only going to increase. But there is a verse that gets brought up a little bit later that I'm going to have you read that completely contradicts this. And it really kind of me off. Oh, man. So, yeah, we'll get there. We find out that Hattie is just up all hours of the night wailing Mm -hmm. because of the loss of her child. She is wailing in anger. She's become almost a different character at this point. Yeah. Which I think, you know, that qualifies as growth. We'll see how it pans out over the next few books. Right. If it pans out, everybody's getting their new tech. Turns out Floyd is a computer guy. So he is going to install some scrambling software on everybody's tech. They're hand-sized mini computer units that can access the internet and serve as solar-powered satellite connected global phones. So they essentially have like the, what did you say they were last episode? Palm pilots that also function as uh, satellite phones. Gotcha. Yeah, they're getting their tech game back up when they axed Donnie in the third or fourth book, they lost their computer guy. Well, that's okay. We'll just put Floyd in his place. Because a lot of times I'm seeing them do this with characters where a character doesn't have enough utility to serve the plot. So they just pull out a new skill that you didn't know they had. Or they just begin leveling a skill almost like uh, right. Chloe begins to do in uh, this section. Chloe is building the international co-op of businesses specifically to keep believers fed and supplied. This was Ken's brainchild. Chloe is picking up that baton and she is sprinting with it. Yeah. Working on fish harvesting operations. She's working on fuel and like hard currency, individual businesses and commodities because they know the mark of the beast is coming. Yeah. So they want to have their own kind of network of trade so that once the mark of the beast Um, gets applied that they still have a way to get the necessities needed to uh, live out the rest of the tribulation yeah and i'm surprised dude we honestly haven't talked a lot about the mark of the beast in this whole show we were talking a little bit off mic the other night and that's the book that i'm almost excited for the most because the mark is so i like uh just synonymous with rapture theology so i'm like what are they going to do with this like what what craziness are they going to pull out of the barrel in that one so i want to take a minute since we're kind of broaching the subject now okay when you were growing up and i mean maybe even in your life right now what was slash is your understanding of the mark of the beast all right so what was kind of the main hysteria point when i was growing up is like we're gonna go into like a moneyless society and uh, if you don't have like a certain think like microchip is the one i heard the most oh yeah heard microchip all the time yeah microchip uh, i've heard some people say 
vaccines, but usually the vaccine is just the conduit for the microchip. I've heard that one a lot this last year, but that's just coming with the that's just coming with the pandemic conspiracy as well. Well, seeing as you and I are both proud owners of our own uh, microchipped Mark of the Beast. Yeah, that was so convenient when I was able to trade again because like, oh, yeah. for like the entire time I couldn't go to the gas station to get anything. And finally I was able to. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. I got yeah. me a Snickers again. See, Joseph Robinette Biden wouldn't even let me buy a cheeseburger until I got this here microchip in my arm. And see, <laughs> now I can buy and sell and trade. And they even let me do Bitcoin. It's great. Oh, man. I should all go out swear your fealty get the mark of the beast it's awesome no seriously guys go get vaccinated please for the love of god <laughs> we're doing a bit but i gotta not do a bit and say that vaccination and herd immunity is all very 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 important i know bruce died of an illness do we get any like vaccine hysteria in the books here if you remember not as far as i remember okay these books continue to surprise me with the stuff that stuck with me and the stuff that didn't but I don't think there's any vaccine hysteria. I am often surprised about the stuff that Jerry and Tim remain practical about mm -hmm. versus the things that they remain paranoid about. I get you. It's very strange. But I think it might be helpful for people listening if we actually read the passage regarding the Mark of the Beast. All right. Wait. Oh, there we go. It is going to be Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. And by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also caused all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the mark of the beast or number of its name. Uh, go ahead and push forward into 18. All right. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. There it is. Yep. And you see this in pop culture all the time. Like, I think in The Omen, which is about a kid who is the Antichrist, I think that the mark that he has on him is like three sixes intertwined. You hear it in heavy metal stuff, you know, 666, the number of the beast. Mm -hmm. It actually has a, no a footnote for the number of the beast that says the number of the beast, which is 666, may symbolize creaturely deficiency as the number of man. In contrast to the divine completeness symbolized by seven, the invitation to one with understanding to calculate this number, however, success the use of gemantria, an ancient code using the numerical values of the letters. Both beast and Nero Caesar, written in Hebrew characters, add up to 666, but many interpreters expect a future greater fulfillment in a world ruler who is violently opposed to God and his people. Yeah, gematria being a system of numerology, a Hebrew system of numerology, mm -hmm. and it being tied to words and names, and by no means am I an expert on this, not an expert on anything that is a Metal Gear Solid, a pretty common interpretation, it's a form of gematria that is something that only some of the readers, specifically the Jewish readers of Revelation, would recognize. Mm -hmm. And it was a form of code because, like we've said, a lot of Revelation is encouragement from John of Patmos to Christians who were dealing with the Roman Empire. Yeah. All of this about buying and selling, this would be the authoritarianism of the Roman Empire. 
do not subjugate yourselves to the Roman Empire because they're only going to become more despotic. And the number of the man is 666, a.k.a. Nero, who, you know, throws our people to the lions. Right. Is basically the interpretation you could take there. If you're boring, but if you're cool and want to write a bunch of weird books with mountains that fall from the sky in them uh, <laughs> and other stuff that we're going to talk about later, you make it a microchip or, you know, you make it some kind of thing that's part of the New World Order. <laughs> I can only speculate what they actually make the mark, but I, I hope it is just a direct antithesis to like what the the tribulation force has like a goat that they have to get like on their head or their, you know, that like that general, like the pentagram with like the goat in it. I, oh yeah. The I, one that you see in doom all the time. Yeah. I bet that's it, but I could be wrong. Can't remember what the Mark looks like. And I know that on the cover art for the Mark, there is microchip circuitry on it, mm-hmm. but that's all that I remember. Okay. Hmm. When I remember sitting in a sermon RFID was used a lot. So that's still a form of a microchip, but RFID was first starting to come out. Like if you remember playing Metal Gear Solid back in like the late nineties, you know, you had to get the RFID cards to go from room to room. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a tiny chip that they put in you. And then you wave your hand over the thing. And then it's just like your credit card. That's what they were warning us about. So that's your primer on the Mark of the Beast. We still got a few books before we get there, but it is going to continue to be brought up, so I want to bring everybody up to speed on that. So anyway. Zion reminds us that we are but a year and a half from what the scriptures call the Great Tribulation. We're only in, uh, what, what is it? What's the period before the Great Tribulation? The Tribulation. Yeah, just we're, at, we're in the normal Tribulation. We aren't in a, a New Game Plus Tribulation. Right, exactly. And I thought that was always very funny because they break it up into the Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation. So you separate those by three and a half years, and that's what you end up with. Yeah. We get a little word from Leon, because everybody loves that. The two witnesses are officially declared enemies of the world state. Yep. And they place Matthews over killing them. They put it under Enigma Babylon's purview. Super doesn't go over well with Matthews, because there's that continuing power struggle. Matthews is like, oh, great. You're going to make me clean up your mess with these two wackos? Because he's just like, oh, uh, Carpathia doesn't have the strength or the gall to do it. So, like, he's just putting it on me. Right, because Matthews is absolutely an egomaniac. He is not nearly as shrewd as Nikolai is. So he thinks that it's not because (laughs) Carpathia doesn't want to deal with it. He thinks it's because Carpathia doesn't have the balls to deal with it. So Buck actually takes Hyam to see the witnesses. Uh, Hyam's impressed. You know, he legitimately is like, you know, I understand the appeal here. And Buck is practically begging Hyam, like, please, after everything you've seen, after everything you've heard from all these people close to you, you have to understand. And Hyam just looks at him and goes, look, I'm old. I'm set in my ways. I'm not ready to turn over my intellectualism for blind faith. That is not how I've lived my life. I'm just, I can't. I wrote this later down in my notes, um, and I'm going to ask you if you've ever heard this phrase, I want to believe, but I need help with my unbelief. That was like a major mentality of like my teenage years. Like, of like, Was it? Of trying to like understand, like it was, it was kind of a thing where I was always fed like so much knowledge from the world that I, uh, that, that I was encouraged to like unlearn all that, like unlearn the tendencies of the modern world almost. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's not a struggle I ever had personally. If anything, it was in reverse. I had to unlearn a lot of my programming and a lot of my indoctrination and be able to accept that I'm not going to wake up one morning and miss the rapture or accept that, you know, if I get in a car crash, I'm not going to show up in hell. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to not believe, but I need help with my belief. (laughs) That was a struggle for me for a long time um, as I was sort of stepping away from faith and like people who knew me then can definitely attest to that. Yeah, because like especially when you are younger struggling with faith, there's always like a push to get you to go back in. And like, because like any form of doubt is seen as like bad and they want to stamp that out as much as possible to like improve how you uh, interface with like the thought system, so to speak. I think personally for me, it was just that I'd always just took all of the truth that I was given in Sunday school as given. Mm -hmm. I just believed it. Like I had no other frame. So, and I was, I was kind of thrown like uh, from some of the stuff that I watched and uh, some of my family that encouraged like, Hey, the doubt, everything. So like I was kind of being fed two uh, messages, like the doubt, every uh, thing sort of POV combined with the just have blind faith and like the constant switching between those two was like honestly very disorienting when it came to like spiritual stuff both those frameworks can't run at the same time and that was just a big source of confusion yeah so as they are at the wailing wall the world suddenly goes dark yep buck falls to his knees and starts praising god where you are a fearsome but also loving and gracious God. And I'm like, that's that's the kind of prayer like a dyed-in-the-wool Christian says. It's like, Buck has really grown kind of in his faith is I think what they're trying to show us. Mm-hmm. We know exactly what uh, happens because he immediately thinks of Revelation 8. We finally have another angel doing their trumpet judgment. The entirety of the sky was just darkened by one third percent, which is going to mess up a lot of the uh, the cell solar equipment that has been set up. Yeah, dude, it's going to mess up a whole lot of the world because we're going to see a little bit later that we start getting deep winter conditions in like the Midwestern United States. Like it gets really bad. Ray actually wakes up to the darkness and he and Chloe sort of realize, oh crap, it's happened. And it's also messing with the Tribulation Force's solar-powered devices. Because remember, they're still living in Donnie Moore's house, and they're running most of their stuff off generators and solar. Yeah. So it's going to impact them as well. Yeah, I have some of their Um, conclusions right here. For some reason, the sum is not equal to its parts in a deal like this. You can't just figure you're going to have a third less power. He put his big calculator to it, and he said it's a third less power on top of being a third less every uh, 24 hours. He sketched out a model of what it will mean to us, and we just didn't like it. Yeah, they're kind of getting caught in the crossfire of God judging the earth. The characters are going to say over and over again, this is an attention getter from God. It's all he can do. You guys know I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. But it's something that they keep trying to lampshade and say, no, 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 no. Uh, God's out of options. This is what he's trying to do. Well, okay, sure, whatever. We find out that Ray is actually worried about Ernie, the mechanic at Pelwaukee. Yeah. Now, he was the one that I think... (laughs) Ken described as a Ben Judah groupie. Um, He's a young kid. I think he's like 19. And they're worried that because Ken's gold is buried at Pawaukee, that Ernie might be sniffing around. Ah. Because they know him. They know he's a believer, but they don't entirely trust him. So we're going to come back to that. But to close out the chapter, we find out that much like they do on everything, the GC wants to trot Hyam out to corroborate 
all of their theories about why the sun and the moon have gone dark. Haim's mm-hmm. not having it. Yeah, Haim has been basically sent what to say about it, the official party line, and they want Haim to parrot it. And do you have that party line? Yes, I have. Top scientific researchers have concluded that this is a condition that should rectify itself in 48 to 96 hours. It should not significantly affect temperatures, except in the short run, and the lack of brightness should not be misconstrued as lack of solar power and energy. While there may be some short-term impact on smaller solar-powered equipment such as cell phones, computers, and calculators, there should be no measurable impact on the power reserves held by the global community power and light. I just want to hear Ron Howard with like the Arrested Development music just say, it didn't. It did, and it wasn't. (laughs) So what they're trying to say is that a magnetar has exploded and caused a radiation belt that has darkened the sun, which is astronomically impossible. You know, in in terms of physics, it's not possible. And even Hayam says that. He's like, oh, that would knock the Earth off its axis. That's that's bullshit. And Hayam has decided he may just go on TV and let them know that it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I missed an opportunity. Because that's such a long section, I could have just read it as Ben Shapiro to get through it quicker. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you being willing to take one for the team here. Uh, hypothetically, oh my God, here we uh, go. Events can emit such energy as the sun would produce in hundreds of years. While we have not detected harmful levels of radiation, current readings show a de- decrease in the light between 30 and 35 percent. <laughs> my God. <laughs> if I can find a way to keep some of that in, I will. Well, this is not my field. <laughs> no. I don't know why you're asking me this. I, I just want to tell these young men dark all the time, they get the seasonal affective disorder and it makes them violent. And it's because they don't have traditional marriage and they, they can't express their sexual desires because the women in the workplace are putting on makeup. And it's terrible and my heart breaks for these young men. And now they can't trade without the mark of the beast. It's, it's most modern neo-Marxists in the global community. Hail Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You said postmodern neo-Marxist and that got me. All right. So we find out in chapter 15 that Zion has had some very advanced computer types. That's a quote. Volunteers to translate his online messages automatically. So he almost has not quite the divine help of things automatically translating, but he's getting people to run algorithms that will automatically translate his messages, which is, you know, it's neat. Yeah, he refers to it as the Pentecost of the net. And he's really excited because he's able to type in unknown tongues. It's very cyberpunk, like marrying the spirituality and the biblical illusions with technology is such a cyberpunk move. It makes me think of uh, the Babblefish from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide as well. It, it got me thinking about like the May from Snow Crash a little bit. Mm-hmm. Zion says some very sobering stuff in this section. He actually says laughter and silliness have no place in our lives anymore. They take a, a moment a few times in the chapter to like really like reflect on Either that the things have gone so fast that they haven't had time to uh, just have those like like normal human moments or when stuff like that happens, they just take a moment and breathe. Ray actually says something in this moment. He says he is longing for the day where there will be no more war. And I'm just like, yeah, coming from the guy who is practically loading and unloading his gun every time he thinks about Nikolai. Okay, we have a moment with Hattie. 
here that I guess is bashing in a way, but it's really not because she has a reaction to something that Zion says. He sort of breaks down and says, look, we have a love for you in this family that is the tribulation force. You see yourself one way, but we see you the way God sees you. God has allowed us to see you through his eyes with unconditional love. And we are heartbroken that you cannot show that kind of love to yourself. And I found that really relatable, especially when you have that friend in sort of your friend group, your chosen family, who may be struggling with something in their lives, whether it's depression or addiction or something, and they are refusing to get help or refusing to get the help that's offered to them. And it's a very frustrating position to be in. Of course, think about how the actual person feels. You know, it's Mm -hmm. awful. I've been that person. I really kind of felt, even though it has all the Christian overtones on top of it, it felt like a very relatable moment. And it just makes me like Zion even more. Like I've always said, he's one of my favorite characters. Hattie kind of like, she even like brings it up. She's like, do do you guys still feel that like I'm a lost cause and just be honest and that and that they just have like a big heart to heart like we love you and like we think about you like a lot it's a really genuine moment and I appreciate it yeah so we go back to Buck he is actually watching TV with Yakov and Stefan getting ready to see Haim go on Mm -hmm. and there's something that happens in this scene and I want to know if you caught it did you see the little through line of the distrust of experts? Yeah, I kind of did, but I, I, you, how about you elaborate? Because I, I kind of get at what you're saying. So it is a through line that happens, especially on the right. I'm not saying it's exclusive to the right. There's a lot of it on the left, too, especially when you get into more of the hippy-dippy alternative medicine communities, mm-hmm. you know, in the more liberal side of things. A general distrust of experts by typically the middle class, who are, of course, going to be the targets of these books, people who have access to a lot of information, who think they know better than people who are experts, and they look at experts as people who are either propped up or given lines to say or who are overlauded and fawned over when they really don't know much more than an average person should. Mm -hmm. You see it in a lot of appeals to things like common sense, facts, and logic, when really the reason why they're an expert is because situations are much more complicated than common sense might dictate. Like we had a great example of that with the solar power. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to get one third less solar energy. Well, that's not how it works. There's a lot of formulae that go into that. Things are complicated. One of my favorite quotes of all time is the truth resists simplicity. So when you are talking to an expert, it is not always convenient or possible for them to break complex concepts down into a soundbite, especially when you're putting experts on a panel on like a news show. So when that distrust of experts comes in, it is kind of a disrespectful discounting of their own expertise. Yeah. And of the fact that maybe you don't know everything. Great example. Ted Nugent very recently said something to the effect of, I don't know why we didn't lock down for COVID's one through 18. Just using facts and logic here. I I have not heard that quote. That's yeah. I I had to like restart my brain after hearing that. Holy And like, sorry, Ted Nugent's a moron, but yeah, that's the kind of attitude is that you apply folksy common sense to things. And sometimes you don't get the right answer. You know what I mean? You're, you're taking like two data points and you're construing something from them that's totally left field, not relevant at all. You don't know what you don't know. And it turns out a lot of these experts do know what you don't know and they know more. Yeah. This whole scene is just 
a circus of the GC bringing out all their experts. I think they refer to them as pedigreed know-it-alls. So there's already derogatory language toward people who are experts in their field. It kind of goes back to individualism. Yeah. You know, like there's that rugged American individualism where the individual should be like the Heinlein style competent man where they can do everything and know everything. And that's literally impossible. So that distrust of experts has never gone away. Hayam comes out on stage. They describe him as a tiny Albert Schweitzer looking man. Do you know who Albert Schweitzer is? I do not know who Albert Schweitzer is. So Schweitzer was a pretty famous German theologian. Okay. So the dude was a polymath. He was a theologian, an organist, a writer, a humanitarian, a philosopher, and a physician. Pretty famous Lutheran theologian kind of operated back in like the the 1940s, 50s. I mean, I'm going to send you a picture of him real quick. And I want you to tell me if this was your headcanon for what Hyam looked like. All right, let's see. Um, you know, k- kind of. And like, yeah, it's like kind of, but like it is now, right? Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, totally. So now going forward, like, oh yeah, he just looks like Albert Schweitzer. Yeah, okay. So pretty interesting guy. He's had a movie made about him and stuff. I really like his mustache. That's like a really powerful mustache he's got going on. Yeah, he has a powerful mustache. And um, we've moved the needle on Hyam from skeptic to agnostic. Do you have his quote there? Yeah, they finally get to him after everyone's kind of said their spiel and he's just like, well, you want my opinion? Okay, I'll give it to you. To tell you the truth, I don't know. And I don't know who turned the lights out. And I'm not sure if I want to know who the two gentlemen at the wall are. I just wish they would bring back the pure water and let it rain once in a while. Is that too much to ask? I am but a simple botanist who happened upon a combination that turned out to be magic water. And suddenly my opinion is sought on everything from the price of sausage to whether the defiant preachers at the Wailing Wall are real or make-believe. I'm feeling the spirit move, bud. Keep going. Okay, but let me tell you this. Now that I have your attention, do I have your attention now, don't I? Um, as should come to no surprise by anyone, I am not a religious man. A Jew by birth, of course, and proud of it. Wouldn't have it any other way. But to me, it's a nationality, not a faith. Uh, All that to say this, many, myself included, were horrified to hear what happened to the family of my beloved protege and former student who grew up to be the respected linguistic and biblical scholar, Rabbi Zion ben Judah. And then a guy tries to interrupt and be like, Dr. Rosenzweig, and he's like, oh, no, you don't. I have earned the right to another (laughs) minute or so, and I demand that I not be unplugged from the air. I just want to say that I am not a religious man, but my religious friend, the affirmation rabbi, has spoken to the very issue we address today. Now, you may rest easy. I have come back to the point. Uh, And then he goes on to just talk more about how Ben Judah has been ridiculed, but he said like a bunch of true stuff. Like Zion said it was going to, an earthquake would come and it came. And he said it was going to hail a blood and fire and it would scorch the plants. They did. He said things would fall from the sky, poisoning water, killing people, um, sinking ships. All those things fell. And he said the sun, the moon, and the stars would be stricken. The world would be one third darker. And he's like, well, I'm finished. I don't know what to make of it, except that I feel a bigger fool every day. And let me just add, I want to know what Dr. Zion Ben Judas says is coming next. Don't you? And he quickly added the address of Zion's website real quick before they just, they switch cameras. And he even says, go ahead now, pull the plug on me. And then we get scene change. Just awesome. Yeah. This is my second favorite moment in the book. <laughs> 
definitely one of my favorite Haim scenes so far. Like he's fed up. He's had it. He's not ready to make the leap yet, but he's tired of being used. Yeah. And he stands up and says, look, there is literally no way that you're not listening to this guy and plugs him basically giving the GC the middle finger. And that's it. That's the uh, that's the end of the scene. Yep. So we cut back to Ray real quick. Yeah. And we find out about the conditions. People are dying everywhere of exposure. It's getting real bad out there. The difference of solar power is affecting the transmission of Zion's lessons. So those are going out slower and slower. Internet failures going on all over, like places are having like brownouts, essentially. But Chloe's whole efforts to build a private marketplace uh, in anticipation of the mark is, is halted because of all of the uh, all of the crises going on. Peter II has decried Ben Judah and the two preachers as practitioners of black magic and showing uh, live shots of the Wailing Wall on TV on repeat, pretty much. Yeah, so we just believe in black magic now. Yeah, I, I guess that's, uh, I guess. Because Carpathia has used that phrase too. He's like, if they don't stop their black magic, I'm just reluctant to think that in this borderline 21st century setting that anybody's going to buy black magic. Like on the one hand, I know the GC and Enigma Babylon are separate entities, technically. One of them is saying astronomical phenomena and the other one is saying black magic. Mm -hmm. But I just find the black magic line real hard to believe in context. You know what I mean? Yeah, I maybe like the global community media train with all of their black magic on live TV has convinced enough of the world population that black magic exists. And they're just, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, they've gotten what's the name of that mystic, like Miss Cleo, like everyone's watching Miss Cleo for a while. Is that is that too dated? Nah, dude, I think people still know Miss Cleo. Okay, yeah, the Miss Cleo's got like a live stream event where she just she just lays down the foundations of black magic to everybody. Call me now. Yeah. <laughs> Ask your parents, kids. Yep. We find out that Nikolai is ready for round two with Eli and Moisha. So he is going to confront them. He vows to confront them in front of the whole world. Yeah. And Buck's like, oh, dude, I got to be there. So he talks to Stefan and Yakov. He's like, we got to get to the wall, man. I have to see this. So journalist Buck is back. And they actually set up like a little shack there. Oh, and they yeah. They're like, out. they're Metal Gear Solid wooden box. <laughs> yeah, they hide under a box because it's freezing. They get as close as they can to the fence so that they can see it out in the cold. Buck, the journalist, had to see what the thing might look like to a passerby. And he gets out of the box and goes talk to uh, Eli and Moisha real quick. Eli raises a hand of greeting to him, gives him a nod, and he goes back to his box. Yeah, they don't even say anything. So true to his word, Nikolai rolls up and he starts off in full negotiator mode with all the spirit of ecumenism and tolerance, talking to them, trying to negotiate as if they have control over the situation. They very quickly relieve him of that assumption by specifically saying over and over again, your quarrel is not with us. Only God is omnipotent. And he's like, I'm seeking your help as men who claim to speak for God. If this is of God, and I plead with you to help me come to some arrangement, an arrangement, a compromise, if you will. Your quarrel is not with us. Well, all right, I understand that. But if you have access to him, your quarrel is not with, and keep on going back and forth. Like, Yeah, he can't get a word in edgewise because they're like, we're not going to talk to you. Yeah. And he, he finally gets like the TV cameras to leave. He gets the guards to leave. And it's just the two of them. And Buck is watching with Yakov and Stefan. 
it, it's actually kind of funny. Like it's a funny scene. I don't know how it's meant to play out, but it is pretty funny watching Nikolai get talked over and kind of getting his face rubbed in it. Finally, they just sort of let him have it because they've had enough with him and they go into the woe, woe, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. It's important to note that Nikolai, without any prompting from the witnesses, says, I'm clearing Ben Judah's name. I'm clearing anyone associated with him's name. We will stop hunting them. And then the witnesses are like, okay. And as if it was never there, the darkness ends. Two days later, the sun rose bright and full and the earth began to thaw. Buck made plans to fly home freely under his own name. That, that's, that's a kind of cool moment, like another big supernatural thing where like Carpathia has to submit in order for things to let up. As the chapter ends, um, it is said that this proves the truth of Luke chapter 21. Yep. Uh, 2125. Okay. And then keep going through 28. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People uh, fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straightening up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. This is actually looked at as some prophecy from the Gospels themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're talking about. We find out that there is another unidentified object in the sky, and Floyd and Zion are going to plan a live stream with a telescope pointing at the sky, and then very quickly decide against it, because Mac lets them know, hey, if you do that, they're going to triangulate your position. It's not going to take much, so don't do that. Yeah. Because the GC, despite... Nikolai's words is still actively looking for them. Yeah. And this unidentified object, I think we're going into chapter 16. Right into chapter 16. Stargazers from around the globe are starting to track this thing, which they're claiming is a shooting star. It's not going in a normal orbit. It's uh, it's kind of falling strangely. And no one's able to really turn their telescopes like from it. Like everyone's just affixed on this thing. It looks like it's going to hit somewhere in an uninhabited region of the Fertile Crescent near what many people believed was the cradle of civilization. So just around like the Tigris and the Euphrates and all that area. Uh-huh. This thing that fell to earth, whatever it was, had somehow triggered volcano-like activity deep beneath the earth's surface. The shockwave alone blew the surveillance planes off course and forced their pilots to, um, to fight to stay air- um, airborne and escape the area. Astounding scientists, the first evidence of what happened beneath the earth was a mushroom cloud a thousand times bigger and launched with that much more power than speed than any history uh, produced by bombs or natural phenomena. Whatever this thing is just landed somewhere in uh, the Fertile Crescent and caused a blast bigger than any nuclear bomb. In this cloud of dust and smoke that seems to linger there, there is something glowing. Yeah. Above the Earth's surface in this cloud of smoke and nobody can really make it out. Matthews is now taking the power of persecution directly to the tribulation force. He is calling them out by name, the tribulation force on television. 
he cancels uh, Ben Judah's website. He does. <laughs> yeah, and if, as a first initiative in a sweeping effort to rid the world of intolerance, it shall be deemed criminal as of midnight Tuesday, Greenwich Mean Time, for anyone to visit the website of the so-called tribulation force. The teachings of this cult's guru, Dr. Zion Ben Judah, are poison to the people of true faith and love, and we will not tolerate this deadly toxin pushed like a drug. This is postmodern neo-Marxism. They're trying to cancel us. We can't spread the word to have the free exchange of ideas. <laughs> we have uh, we have like a 1984-esque moment where, oh, we'll, we'll know if any citizen gets on this website and looks for it. Uh, and there's a deadline. You you pretty much just got to like just never visit this website again after this set time or the, you'll get a, either a fine or at worst imprisoned. This is Matthews on TV in his big, ridiculous Final Fantasy wizard uh, robe <laughs> thing. And a reporter comes up and goes, uh, two part question, Supreme Pontiff. One, how does imprisoning people for what they access on the web jibe with tolerance, faith, and love? And two, if you can monitor everyone's internet activity, why can't you trace down where Ben Judah is and shut him down? No comment. Yeah, no comment. Uh, we're not taking, <laughs> uh, sorry, we're not taking questions. Bye. We know that it's getting real because Ray is headed back to Powaki and with an audible voice, he hears, whoa, whoa woe to the inhabitants of the earth it turns out what this thing is that crashed into earth is an angel this is the most evangelian shit. like i just see it like the the plume of dust with the tiny red light in it that's almost forming like a cross with like the lens flares mm -hmm. and it looks kind of transparent and sort of human-like so you got this like humanoid emanation of light that's see-through that just caused a nuclear blast in the middle of a desert that no one can get close to but they're looking at it through like you know high-tech equipment and it's an angel everyone's able to still hear it in like the translation uh, aspect like it's like the whoa 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 is functioning similar to Eli and Moisha but on all of their recording equipment, it just sounds like Greek is like emanating. First time we haven't heard it in Hebrew when it's yeah. recorded because uh, the New Testament written in Greek, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. Okay. So that's why they specifically chose that. Buck hears this voice and mistakes it for the TV until he looks on Haim's face and Haim's just like terrified because yeah, everyone uh, on earth hears it like how can you not believe now yeah yeah and even it even says that how could he or anyone doubt the existence of god now yeah this was no longer about ignorance it was about choice yeah we're we're getting more into like the subtitle of soul harvest the world is now getting more fodder to just take a side and we're gonna hear some of this later and i think zion says it that people have no excuse now either you are with us or you like sinning too much yeah which is like uh, <laughs> so ray meets ernie at Pawaki, and another pair of guys roll up um they're both pretty well dressed turns out they are uh the owners they're the money guys for Pawaki. one's named Bo, and does did it ever say the name of the other guy we're gonna meet the other guy in a minute okay Bo gets out and starts talking to ernie and he also seems to know about ken and about Ken potentially hiding something at Powaki mm -hmm. starts getting real confrontational with Ray. Just something's not adding up about what he's saying. Ernie tries to get in the middle of it, and Bo, who is swearing and not acting like a Christian and does not have a mark, turns to Ernie and goes, 
stay out of this. And why don't you uh, wipe that dumb smudge off your forehead? Oh, we got an infiltrator in the ranks. Yeah. He made a he made a counterfeit Yu-Gi-Oh symbol. Recreated what he thought the mark looked like well enough to fool multiple believers. Yeah, and Rayford even at one point makes a, a comment. He's just like, dude, how much did you have to study Zion's material? To be able to know what it looks like to be able to it would work. be easier just to be a christian yeah yeah this guy went through like hoops and he specifically did it because he wanted to steal ken's gold yeah he wanted to steal ken's gold and also uh maybe he has the hots for hattie but maybe he was just using hattie to get to the gold i'm not sure well we're gonna find out a little bit about that later okay did we uh did that not get hinted at yet not yet. Okay, yeah. Okay, I, I confused him for Floyd because, like, multiple people are, like, going towards Hattie in this. But second. Hattie's going to Hattie. Yeah. There's something about her. So, Gavin, I'm going to take this next bit. Okay, go for it. When we started I Survived the Rapture, when I sent Gavin a message to say, do you want to do this Left Behind podcast with me? I sweetened the pot a little bit. You gave me a little bit of uh, foreknowledge of this part of the book. You saying this to me, it was the, okay, let's do this podcast to get to this plot point. And the phrase that I used was, just wait till we get to the man-faced robo-scorpions. And naturally, I was like, excuse me, the what? The man-faced, horse-hooved, talking robo scorpions robo demon scorpions yeah and here we go the abyss has opened up (laughs) dude i'm so excited this is my favorite part of the book Hyam and Buck are having another conversation. Buck is trying to witness to him, trying to get him to pay attention. He says, God is trying to get your attention. You are so close. Come on. And their conversation is cut off by the scraping of metal against metal, this horrible, tinny rumbling sound that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder, almost like it's approaching. And these five-inch long, black, yellow, and brown scorpion horse man chimera things that are plated in shiny metal armor swarm toward the house they have lion teeth they have long hair like women's hair is what it says and all of this is taken directly from revelation like we are not interpreting prophecy anymore we are just literally having prophecy come to pass verbatim yeah and i'm gonna say it now if anybody wants to take a crack at drawing these things we'll give you like an i survived the rapture t-shirt or something just like give it a shot i'll figure something out because this is the moment guys this is the moment i have been saying the stephen king weirdness is here we have now gone from political thriller disaster movie war movie inspirational christian movie we are now here at the stand dark tower what the weirdness (laughs) it very quickly turned from just a normal a conversation about God to, oh no, the demons are attacking. And we get a long action sequence that cuts back and forth through all the characters having to like hear all of these things become unleashed and just uh, they go into fight mode. And we finally just get like some doom level, okay, our protagonists have to literally fight demons. 
fighting demons with cricket bats and tennis rackets. Yeah, they're in a survival horror game. It is insane. These things are swarming and screaming. They're screaming in Hebrew. They're screaming Abaddon, which is the Hebrew name of the destroyer, apparently. And then in Greek, they're screaming Apollyon. So yeah. we get the title drop. So these things are slamming up against the windows of Hyam's estate, like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, chomping and sliming and stinging and trying to get in. Hyam, understandably, freaked out. Buck. Not so much. He's real interested in seeing them. And he even says to Hyam, he's like, don't you like want to see? You're a biologist. And Hyam's like, no, they're trying to kill me. Because they are literal demons. Like they are unsettling to look at. They're only coming after non-believers and they are trying to sting them. What happens when you, you get stung is you're an excruciating, like unending pain and you lose the ability to die you're in pain for five months yeah you're in pain for five months and can't die during that period either and also um the significance of apollyon is apollyon is the chief demon of the a bottomless pit ruler over the fallen hordes of the abyss so uh, I'm pretty sure Tim just pulled out like his demonology books and like, oh boy, what, what am I going to throw at him here? He pulled out his lesser key of Solomon and just went for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, you ever watch any of Coyote Peterson's videos? I have not. So he's a guy, he has a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Something Wilderness. He's the guy who goes around and voluntarily gets stung and bitten mm-hmm. by venomous things. He has done several different videos. It's very interesting content. Like if you like watching a man suffer. He worked his way up to like the bullet ant and the warrior wasp and all of these incredibly painful venomous stings. Mm-hmm. I can see this dude, if he ever ran out of clickbait during the tribulation, going for the... <laughs> The Abyss Demon Sting. (laughs) Please watch his channel at some point. He is riveting content. Will do. Animal Planet never made anything like this guy. During all this, Hyam runs into the back, comes out dressed like a beekeeper. I don't know how he got a beekeeper suit, but he has one. Maybe somewhere on his estate, he just has bees. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, He comes out in a beekeeping garb, fresh with boots, bulky canvas body, smock gloves, hat with a face mesh, and material covering his neck with a cricket bat, ready to fight some demons. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? If he does have bees on his property... Bless them. Yeah, bless them. Beekeepers are doing the Lord's work. Support your your local beekeepers. Yep. Buck doesn't care. He sees that Jonas, the gate guard, is out there getting stung by multiples of these things, writhing in pain. And Buck just runs out there with a tennis racket, bats a few of them away, and he fireman carries Jonas back in. But it's too late. He's been stung. They get you once, you're done. Yeah, and Buck isn't being attacked, so he's safe. But at the same time, there's like a little bit of dissonance because there's just these cosmic horrors around him. And like he's having trouble like even like moving because of just how like shocked he is. Yep. And Buck actually tries to stomp on one, can't crack the shell. They're literally wearing little suits of armor. Horse hooves, little suits of armor, lion teeth, man face, long hair. They can talk and they have translucent scorpion tails. You can see the venom sloshing around in there. So there's your description. You guys go nuts with it. Yeah. And that gets us into chapter 17, where we get another demon attack. Rayford accosts Ernie for faking the mark. And then all of a sudden, Bo just looks over the horizon and goes, what the heck is that? And then he's just like, he faked the mark. No, 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 that. Or in the distance, 
there's just this dark cloud of what appears to be smoke, which was turning into a swarming wave of, and they, in the book, they call them the locusts because uh, that's what they kind of resemble from afar. Everyone kind of starts freaking out. Bo and Ernie start infighting. With the worst insults I have ever heard in this whole book. Like, I know that they don't want to swear and that they don't want to use the vernacular, but it is the worst string of insults that Jerry has ever written. And it sounds incredibly lazy and awful. Can you read that for me, please? Get up here and get in there, you sissy. And then Ernie replies, yeah, well, so are you, you big sissy boy, sissy boy, Bo. God. (sighs) And then demons attack them. (laughs) Yeah, right before they do, Ray says, I hate to tell you, gentlemen, you're in big trouble. (laughs) It's awful, man. So the other guy gets out of the car and he runs up to Ray and Ray immediately sees his mark and he introduces himself as TM Delante. He's like, yeah, just call me T. I'm the owner. He's the one that worked with Ken and he helps Ray drag Ernie and Bo inside as they sit there and writhe in agony. Oh God, the horror. And this is going to go on. Five months. It's insane. Yeah. We find out the victims of the stings will not die, but they wish they could. And I know we put a content warning at the top of the episode, but later on, we're going to get some descriptions that are pretty graphic. So, so we find out Hattie has been attacked and will also suffer for five months. She is cursing God and screaming. Buck is back at Hyams trying to keep Hyams safe. But as he walks into the room, one gets in and stings Hyam. Yeah. They describe slimy metal and spikes is what they felt like when Buck throws it out of the door. Like he picks it up. He refers to them as badly conflicted beings because God has power over them. Now, this is an interesting bit of Christian theology. Oh, yeah. Demons are in opposition to God, but they can never have power over him. They can never not do what God says. So it's not like there's a war between God and demons. Not really. Demons are just sort of nuisances to God more than anything else because he can just tell them to do something and they have to do it. Yeah, they would want to kill believers, but they were under instructions from God to torment only unbelievers. What Satan meant for evil, God was using for good. And it also uh, said that Sion taught that these beings weren't part of the animal kingdom at all, but demons taking the forms of organisms So they're like spirits that are being like manifested into these like grotesque horrors on the physical plane. Their bodies were shaped like miniature horses or armed for war, and they had wings like flying grasshoppers. I know I normally say my moments of vulnerability for the off the record, but I'm going to confess right now, I have a severe phobia of flying, stinging insects. Mm -hmm. Not to the point where I will kill a bee. Uh, I will definitely never do that. But yeah, I, I cannot with flying stinging insects dude so this particularly gets me and i think like that's what it's kind of trying to appeal at people don't like wasps and hornets and stuff and these things are just like they look like mega murder hornets almost uh but even worse they're not sure if they can kill them they they know they they can stun them but they don't know if they just get back up. They're going to fly all over the whole world and they're going to sting every non-believer until they get them all. And I have more highlighted descriptions of them. The four horse-like legs support a horse-shaped body consisting of a two-part abdomen draped by a metallic breastplate that accounted for the noise when it flew. Part of their effect is even they're flying, it almost sounds like nails on chalkboard where like parts of the metal are like grinding against each other 
as they're flying. Oh my god, it's awful. The face looked like that of a man, but as it writhed and grimaced and scowled at Buck, it displayed a set of teeth way out of proportion. They were the teeth of a lion with long canines, the upper pair extending over the lower lip. The locusts had long, flowing hair like a woman's, spilling out from under what appeared to be a combination helmet and crown, gold in color. Yeah, these are just unreal. Haim is just begging for water, but he knows it won't help him. Buck tells him, don't drink the water. It's turned to blood. And scene. So in chapter 18, we get a five-month recap. Not really a time skip. Did it feel like that to you? Not really. It just, it kind of like, at this point, like the little time skips that we get, they're throwing enough at us that it can, it, it seems a little bit more, it, it's less jarring than the 18th month, month one that we got. Yeah, it is. This worked for me. Yeah, it did for me as well. Yeah, we find out that Hattie, of course, screaming all hours of the night, she still won't convert, even though she's witnessing to her sister her sister that works in an abortion clinic, because of course she does. But she, yeah, she's telling her sister, you have to accept Jesus. So Hattie knows and she gets it and she's on board, just not for herself. She's writhing in agony. She's not eating. She's wasting away. And the same thing happens with Hyam later. And it led me to wonder like, okay, what happens at the end of the five months if they can't die for five months? They just drop dead when the five months are up? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, there's some people in these descriptions that basically gotta when the five months are up, mm-hmm. once we get to the descriptions. And she says, I don't want to be free. I only want to kill Nikolai. So we find out that the 144,000 have fanned out across the globe. They're even reaching obscure tribal groups. Now that reminds me of something that you said, maybe not last episode, maybe the one before, how everybody's going to have a chance to hear the gospel before they die. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. Did this hit you like that? That that's kind of what they're talking about. Yeah, kind of, because especially when it uh, refers to the obscure tribal groups, that that specifically reminded me of like the the missionaries that try to go to like uncontacted civilizations and stuff like that. That's what I imagine that they're like almost trying to do. They're kind of covering themselves and saying like, no, 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 we got to everybody because we find out that there are now more Christians on the planet than there were that were raptured. Yeah. Which, you know, considering all the God stuff that's been happening. Yep. We find out Chloe's in the last stage of her pregnancy. So now Buck has to get home somehow. Zion takes a moment to mention in his sermon that this is the last period where believers will know any sense of freedom. So the persecution is about to severely ramp up. And this is where we got to the point where I wanted to read a specific Bible verse. Okay. Because we get a little more boomer posting from Zion, and he talks about how demon worship is on the rise. And I, it gives no context for this. I don't know if they're worshiping the pit demons or if it's just demon worship in general. I'm just going to tell you something. As far as when Christians talk about demon worship, sometimes Christians mean sin and like spiritual idolatry. You know, you're committing sin, and that in a way is worshiping demons and Satan. Sometimes they mean it literally. Yeah. I don't know a lot of demon worshipers. I have Satanist friends, but even my Satanist friends will tell you we don't believe in a literal Satan. So this whole scare tactic about demon worship is very silly. Yeah. Um, how much about demon worship did you hear growing up? Well, it was it was uncommon. Like I heard a lot of like that was the kind of like satanic panic thing. I was very hesitant to be uh, allowed to play D&D because of like concerns of that. It was that kind of thing. They thought like a lot of like modern pop culture was like a, a masquerade for demon worship. Yeah. 
So can you pull up for me Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12? And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Zion chooses this verse. And I know I've said in previous episodes that I was not taught that the struggle against the evil one when I was a Christian was a physical one. It's not one where you carried guns. It's not one where you, quote, went to war, unlike what we're seeing in this book. This is the verse that taught me that. This is actually one that I specifically remember hearing my dad say, fighting for the kingdom of God did not involve physical violence. Hmm. And I see this as the books are starting to talk out of both sides of their mouth. And it really bothers me that with one hand, they can say, Oh, how are you going to fight in a war if you're not going to kill the enemy, Buck? Don't feel bad about murdering that man. And then turn around and say, oh, no, no, no. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. It's against principalities and powers and, and wickedness in high places. That's all meaning spiritual warfare. This moment was one where I actually, in my brain, almost docked the book a few points for even bringing this up. But I still think it's better than letting the warrior through line continue. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I would prefer if they said it this way. I don't know how you feel about it. It's like they tried to use this for like a stop sign for a moment and be like, hey, uh, they tried to like ground the work a bit. Like, hey, you're not going to be actually fighting uh, literal demons. But then they go back to like fighting literal demons. <laughs> it's just so inconsistent. Yeah. Like we've talked about how the books are more literary interesting when they go off track and, you know, have the actual demon fights and stuff. And as like a work of fiction, that's cool. But again, I'll use the word dissonance again this episode where it is that dissonance between they're trying to make an action novel where you fight demons and shoot down big evil government uh, forces. And then they're also trying to connect with the message of, hey, like that stuff's like not what you're supposed to be doing to fight that. And it, it's, it's odd. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. So we find out Hyam's staff moves into the house with him and Buck to take care of him, but Hyam's still holding out. Like he will not convert. Mm -hmm. Mac gets him a contact so he can get back to the States because Chloe is very close to delivering. It's a guy named Abdullah Smith. Mm -hmm. They even say, oh, it's a weird name, but he has his reasons. <laughs> Mac and David, they're doing fine. And we're going to get more Mac and David in the next book. They're actually faking bites to stay undercover. They said, hey, when you see Nikolai go on TV with a locust as a pet on his shoulder, don't believe it. He's stung too and he feels awful. And it would have made more sense, though, if instead of like photographic technology, they just had him calm one. But... I don't know. Yeah, why don't they just let him use demon powers and yeah. like just have it sit on his neck? But it's because God is controlling these things and he's not more powerful than God. The Carpathia can just be, come my child. And the locust will just halt at his word. <laughs> It'd be cool if he did. We get a little update on global commerce that Nick is fully taking control over that. So his plan to take over the global economy is basically well and completed. It is accomplished, as you might say. The GC and Enigma Babylon are both starting to execute subversives. Ah, here we go. Yeah. Gotta weed out those subversive elements from your authoritarian regime. Gotta have that. Yep. More reinforcement that Matthews isn't long for this world because Nikolai's gunning for him. Ray gets to know TM Delante a little bit. 
they start kind of negotiating because T has his own little congregation community. You know, they still live in their houses, much like the Tribulation Force does. He knows Ken has the money. It's buried on his property. He wants some, if not all of it, so that they can continue to spread the word their way. And he and Ray kind of have a little staring contest. T's like, listen, we can come to an agreement. You can have Ken's planes. You can fly out of here whenever you want. We will use this money to help you. However, look, you don't have any paperwork. I appreciate that Ken was your friend, but it is on my property. Let's come to some sort of alliance here, which they do. And that's going to be important moving forward. Uh, Buck meets Abdullah, who is a fighter pilot and is going to fly Buck home in a fighter plane. Yep. And they're just rocketing towards their destination. But before he leaves, Buck sees on the news that people all over the world are trying to commit suicide. And this is where it gets real gross. Yeah. I think it's worth talking about anyway. Do you have the passage there? I do. He heard that thousands in Jerusalem had slit their wrists, tried to hang themselves, drunk poison, stuck their heads in gas ovens, put plastic bags over their heads, sat in garages with cars running, and even jumped in front of trains and leaped off buildings. They were severely injured, of course, and some were left looking like slabs of butchered meat. But no one died. Oh, lived in torment. That's the one that got me, man. Yeah, like they're just these disfigured, like, hunks of flesh. But literally cannot die. Yeah. They're being supernaturally kept alive, and it's awful. Yeah. And Haim was pretty much, like, not eating, and he's trying to, like, dehydrate himself or starve, and he just... He's not able to. And yeah, he, just like Hattie. Yeah, he looks terrible and emaciated. And But the last thing that Buck says to him is he says, I love you, Hyam. Yeah. And I just wrote, aw. It's really important. Like, I, I love Hyam, and we're going to get some more of him in the next book. So chapter 19 begins with a moment that freaked Alex out. Wouldn't be a good left behind book if there wasn't a moment that Alex overheard and went, gross. Oh, oh, I think I know. <laughs> Ray has a conversation with Chloe about how she looks now that she's pregnant. He goes on at length. He's like, well, look, I, I get it. You're more than a baby making machine. But listen, if your husband could see you now, I remember how attracted I was to your mother when she was pregnant. And oh boy. Alex heard me listening to that while I was making dinner. And she just goes, oh, God. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yeah, pretty gross. And she's like, that's your daughter. I don't like this book anymore. <laughs> it may be politically incorrect to say that you are doing what you're meant to do, but I know that you're more than a baby making machine. So he, uh, he, he pulls the pull like, well, you can't really say this anymore because it's politically incorrect, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I always love what comes immediately after when a 50-year-old white guy says, now this may be politically incorrect, but... Yeah, always the best quotes come right after that phrase. Right. <laughs> like they're telling on themselves right before they say something. So much, dude. But we find out Buck is going to be coming sometime in that night. Yeah. So he's very, very close. We get a whole lot of like doctor back and forth, like about complications of Chloe's pregnancy, whether or not they need to do a cesarean because of the umbilical cord issues that are going on. So just a lot of tension there of uh, that goes back and forth, back and forth. They can't take Chloe to the hospital, so they're going to have to deliver the baby at home. Mm -hmm. Everyone is looking forward to the baby, including Zion. And he says, like, I don't expect to find happiness anymore, but the birth of this little one is going to mean a lot. And it's, it's very cute. Yeah. 
people in the tribulation force are actually starting to wish for death as a reprieve from all this horror. And so they're kind of getting prepped to to induce Chloe and, and begin the birth. Lucas Miklos meets Buck when they stop to refuel in Greece. He goes by Laszlos. So we've met him in the previous section and we're meeting him now. He's meeting Buck. He discusses bringing him into the co-op on behalf of Ray. And Laszlos is going to sell his Lignite business to the global community before the mark comes to be so that he can then take the money and reinvest it when the time comes. Mm-hmm basically buy up as many consumer goods as possible with his fortune so that he can then fund the co-op. And that's going to get us into chapter 20. Almost done. Floyd is severely stressed over Chloe and Hattie because Hattie's being real weird and real standoffish to everybody beyond her normal level. There's another person named Leah that gets mentioned again. We've heard about Leah before. She's the nurse at the hospital that's the believer that has let them through a couple times Mm -hmm. where Floyd used to work. So back to Buck and Abdullah. They're flying over the Atlantic and Buck thinks to himself, man, I wonder what Abdullah did before he was a believer. Maybe he was a terrorist. Yeah, that just, just out of, like, they, what the f- they just throw that out there and don't like return to it at all. Like Buck just has a, a random thought like um, this guy could have been a terrorist before the rapture. And then yeah, just so what? Come on. This isn't even like post 9-11 yet. Like we still got like Mark, I think, is the first book that comes out after 9-11. So. Yeah, I think you're right. That's kind of weird. The clock's ticking on Chloe's pregnancy. What Floyd has not told them is that the fetal heartbeat is beginning to drop. He's got to go to the hospital and get some oxygen. Everybody's getting ready. They're trying to prep the space inside the house. And as he's coming back from the hospital, he's being followed by a motorcycle. Yep. And he's trying to get to Hattie. Yeah, because they've been talking on the phone and Hattie's been making him all these promises if only they can dig up the money and she can get to New Babylon. That's the plan. Because she's continuing on her uh, her Carpathia crusade and that is an important component of her plan coming into fruition. Exactly. So we find out from Zion the next two woes are coming and it will be in the form of 200 million horsemen that will slay one third of the world's population. What's that going to look like? Stay tuned. Yep. And he also points out that only one quarter of the world's population will survive from the rapture to the glorious appearing. So it's going to get whittled down significantly. That's believers and non-believers included. Yeah. So Ray confronts Hattie and is like, dude, call your boy off. Like he doesn't need to come here. He's going to compromise us. Hattie's tired of being told what to do. She's trying to deal with Ernie. So Ray and T and Floyd come up with a plan where they can switch cars at Pawaukee. T will drive Floyd's car and then let Ernie catch up with him and then confront him. And Floyd says something like, oh, that's cool. We look alike. I didn't mention that T is black. Floyd's basically saying like, we're two black guys. We look alike. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, Oh my God. No. Just throwing fastballs of just the most uh, comments that you could make. The the real uh, comment that comes a little bit later in the series, I think, is said to T. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the one that I mentioned in a previous episode. I'll point it out when we get there. Okay. So Hattie agrees to talk Ernie down and kind of call him off. So we get to chapter 21. Buck is cutting it close. He and Abdullah are making as good a time as they possibly can. They're going as fast as they can, but it's going to be close. Chloe starts to catch on to the fact that everything isn't all right. Yeah. T decides he's going to wait around and receive Buck at Pawaukee. Floyd gets there with the oxygen. Chloe's condition is starting to deteriorate. Things are getting bad. They plan to induce labor, but 
with the option to perform a cesarean if things get bad enough. Mm -hmm. They can't go to the hospital, like I said. Turns out Ray and Abdullah know each other. So as soon as Buck touches down and he's able to talk to Abdullah on the phone, he's like, hey, cool, thanks for bringing my son-in-law. Tell him to get here. (laughs) Hattie decides to leave the room and she goes and curls up in a fetal position in the basement, which is really weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know why she does that, but we find out in a minute. Mm-hmm. The Buck and Abdullah touch down, and then Abdullah's affect changes. Did you notice this? Uh, like, at the beginning when he first meets Buck, he's speaking broken English, and then he turns around immediately and starts speaking, like, full sentences and using idioms, and then they switch it back again, and somebody uses an idiom on him. They say, like, pull one over on you, and, like, he doesn't understand. Did you notice this? I didn't. It really felt like, Jenkins was rushing to finish the ending here and forgot how he made Abdullah speak. Okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. It's weird. He goes from broken English to slang vernacular and back again a couple of times. Yeah, okay. Zion gets everyone together to pray over Chloe. As they do, Hattie makes a break for it. She steals the keys to the rover and she takes off toward the airport. Yeah, she and Ernie are working towards digging up this gold to be able to exercise their plan, specifically Ernie. Ray and T take off after them because Floyd is busy delivering the baby. Zion is assisting. You know, Chloe obviously can't go. So Ray and T, because T's just got back from the airport, (laughs) immediately they jump in the Jeep and take off after the Range Rover. They get there. Ray actually calls Leah to check in and say, hey, is that Bo guy still there? Turns out, no, he's not means he's at the airports while chloe's giving birth they are racing to the airport to try to stop whatever it is that ernie and Bo and hattie have planned to steal this money Mm -hmm. and hattie turns out to be making a deal with abdullah to give him a brick of gold bullion for flying her to new babylon he's like this money even belong to you she's like oh it belongs to my fiance and she grabs ernie's arm so come on we're back to like classic hattie of just like jumping from one guy to another so just Oh man, need you need we remind you that loose women are terrible. <laughs> and Abdullah actually asked her, How many fiancés do you have? Because <laughs> you used to be married to the potentate, and like he immediately recognizes her. Yeah. Ray pulls a pretty cool move here. He does almost a Gideon thing. If you remember the story of Gideon from the Bible, Ray fakes a call to Abdullah to scare Ernie. And basically, can you read that call for me? Abdullah, it's Rayford Steele, but don't say anything. Just repeat after me, all right? And he makes Abdullah say, global community militia, a stolen Range Rover, gold, prison. Yes, you can come and question me, but all the gold is here in the automobile, too. Yes, I will be here when you get here. No, I do not want to go to prison. Abdullah breaks in. It's working, Rayford. Hattie screams, Rayford, her, Ernie, wait. Uh, and Ernie and Bo were already riding double on the motorbike, leaving a plume of dust as they hightail it. Oh. It's like Looney Tunes. Like, just, <laughs> like, they're just gone. And so they leave Hattie just sitting there with her hands in her pockets, like, well, guess that plan's out the window. So the gold is safe. We cut back to Chloe, and four hours later... In the darkest hour of the morning, Chloe St- Steele Williams gives birth to a healthy son. In tears, she suckled him and announced his name, Kenneth Bruce. And even Hattie wept. Did Bruce. they have to include that she suckled him? Uh, well, I, a weird way to end the book, boys. I find it interesting that they ended it with like Hattie wept. I, I might just be thinking too much into it and seeing it as like almost like a parallel to Jesus wept for some reason. I'm not going to say it's not. 
Yeah. So we'll we'll have more Hattie stuff to look forward to in future books. She ain't going anywhere for a minute. Yep. And then we get the epilogue that's very short. So I'll read that real quick. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released. That is the end of Apollyon. The destroyer is unleashed. Uh, that was the the ending. It was very uh, rushed towards the end, but just that little, I guess, like nugget of sunshine that we get with Kenneth Bruce being born. And like, look, we had to rush through it. Like you saw how much we had to cover in, you know, an hour and a half or so. Much like every ending of these books, we see this pattern now. We're five books in, they rush it. But next to maybe only the first book, this is the only kind of happy ending that we got. And that's one thing I like about this particular book. So when it comes rating time next week, that'll be reflected in my rating when we do off the record. Same here. Thank you guys for joining us as we close out my favorite book of the first six chapters of Left Behind here on I Survived the Rapture. Come see us next week. We're going to do an off the record, break this down, give it a rating. But until then, I'm Shane Bazell. I'm Gavin Russell. Uh, until next time, don't get stung by the demons. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. We can help you and lead you astray.